0: Hey everybody, welcome back to La Carnita Asada. I'm your host, George Salazar. Uh, This is episode four with my guest, Leanne Alfaro. Today's episode will be sponsored by El Churro Shop, uh, the newest restaurant on 26th Street. Uh, you can find it on 26th and Drake. Uh, so, hey, Leanne, how have you been?
1: I've been well. How are you? Uh,
0: I got to be honest, I'm I'm pretty tired. You know, it's been a long day. Uh, woke up pretty late for school, so I had to, you know, zoom out the house and then didn't get to eat anything until like right now, to be honest. And oh my you know, I got well, weights and practice and all that. Churros. I know I'm excited. They look so. good, too. <laughs> we got sauces right here, too, if you want.
1: Those look really good.
0: OK, well, I just want to get right into it? Yeah. So, I know you went to Northside College Prep. Yeah. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about how CPS was back then?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Wow, you did your research. <laughs> right, that's a throwback. Um, yes, I went to Northside Prep. Um, that's a selective enrollment school. Um, and I would commute like 45 minutes to get to school. But that was really the case ever yeah. since I started going to elementary, which I went to elementary in Lakeview. I went to the school called Burley. It was like a language arts school. And Is that where I, you lived? No, I lived in Hermosa. Oh, wow. I grew up in the Northwest Side of Hermosa, so West of Humble Park. Yeah. Very different kind of neighbor, you know, very Latino, working class. Um, and it was through the lottery system that I got to go to this school because oh, wow. my first language was Spanish. Um, and so, it's it's interesting that you asked me about that because I think that a lot of the reason that I that I do what I do and how I do it is because I realized that here in Chicago. Um, your socioeconomic status and like the neighborhood you grew up in correlated to the to the like kind of education that you got yeah. and some many times the quality of education that you got and so it was through a lottery system that I got into this language arts school and then I took a t- selective enrollment test, got into Northside and that, that's what happened.
0: So was it like different from like where you grew up from? So I know you said you grew up in Hermosa. So oh, for like sure. going to Northside, I'm sure it's very diverse. Was so it like sort of like a culture shock when you got there?
1: Um, I think because I had been doing this code switching since, okay. since I was, I went to Lakeview because yep. I got into the lottery school that it was a culture shock then. Oh. And that was the second grade. I didn't know a lick of English and I go to the school in Lakeview and and they're like, we're going to teach you English. And oh, wait, so your you first your first
0: language is Spanish? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, You speak really good English, I assumed, you know, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, but up to the second grade, my mom was a teacher in Mexico. Um, and so she she taught me at home. Like, she's just like, we're going to do this. Here's your libreta, you know, like, let's read, let's write. And so it was a culture shock in second grade, for sure.
0: That's cool. Uh, so talking about your mom or uh, even family life, like, tell me what it was. Like, Could like, you have your mom and your dad? Do you have any brothers and sisters well, what was that like yeah
1: yeah so we're a nuclear family it's me my mom dad and my brother and okay. he's six years younger than I am uh and growing up uh, you know low income we grew up uh all around Hermosa uh we lived in like tight quarters with my aunts and uncles when I was like a, a small kid and then um eventually eventually my dad then graduated into our own apartment and my dad, after he left the carpentry union and he started his own business, then he was able to go up for for a house, and that was a pretty big deal. But other than that, it was like it, it was it was low income until that point. But he was very like entrepreneurial in his ways, and because my mom is stay at home mom, definitely a lot of the reason that we lend where we did
0: yeah i i mean hearing like with your dad like sort of get like a late start i I sort of like can relate to that in a way yeah because i grew up i mean i grew up in a little village i got brothers and sisters um and my stepdad i have a stepdad so like growing up we were kind of low income you know we struggled we didn't have much and then like just recently started like his own tow truck business and we're sort of like you know getting like nicer things and stuff like that that's Uh, that's really good to hear so seeing that your dad was an entrepreneur did that like inspire you or how did that help shape you
1: yeah i mean i don't think i realized that it did i I think i thought i was more shaped by my mom honestly because my mom was a literature teacher and so she taught me how to read and write and she'd sit me down and have me read the the newspaper but it's funny because the older i grew the the more i realized like i am and like my dad in many ways it's very like very uh inquieto like very like can't say still is always working on a new project and he's very entrepreneurial in his ways so I think I definitely have some of those mannerisms of his that like help me just like pick up new skills move fast and then roll with the punches essentially
0: <laughs> uh, so I know writing is a really big part in your life uh, yeah. I know you started writing at northside for the for the newspaper mm-hmm. uh were you sort of like intimidated when you started writing publicly knowing that other people would be able to like read with what you had to say?
1: I don't think so. I think in, in that elementary school I told you I went to, um, I got a lot of confidence from my teachers there because they taught me how to re- how to write English and of course it was pretty bad at first, but I really fell in love with it because I really fell in love with reading. I was like kind of an introvert. I'd spent a lot of time at my local library um, and... Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I really liked how how the writers I read wrote and I really wanted to write like them. So I wrote a lot of fiction in like the sixth to the eighth grade. And so I when I got to school, I'm just like, I'm already writing fiction. Like, why don't I write nonfiction? Why don't I write real stories? Um, And so that's what it that's what it was that really got me into writing in high school. Um, and so I, I wrote for the high school paper, but I also ended up writing for another youth paper in the city too.
0: So is that sort of like, what kind of books were you into growing up?
1: Um, like sci-fi. Really? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I started like, I started, I just started reading a lot more. So I like, uh, like mystery books. I don't know. You have a favorite author? Uh, was it James Patterson? Is that is okay. the name? I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know all the mystery. Reading. I got to be honest. Like, you know. I, okay. When I went down like the whole mystery rabbit hole, my favorite author was Agatha Christie. She's oh, right. the one who wrote like, um, and then there were none, Oriental Express, like these kind of like murder mysteries. Yeah. So, like yeah. one person. And a lot of them have been turned into movies now, but she's a really great writer. Mysteries are dope.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm sort of the same way. I I can't like, I'm not very good with numbers or like math, but like I love writing. You know, something about writing is like being able to express yourself on paper is pretty cool.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, So when did you realize like, hey, this is what I want to do with my life. Like writing is is what I want to pursue.
1: I think I I just kept doing it. And i really liked it and then when i saw it was like a viable career opportunity i was like why wouldn't i go through with this it was never like it never felt like a leap because i was always doing it like i i was consistently uncomfortable and i kept doing it and you know like am i the best writer now but I, I think i got comfortable with not being the best in the room and just being like the person who keeps trying um and i think that that's really what eventually made me like Whatever it is that I do now, whatever my career is, it's just you keep doing it until one day you wake up and you're like, oh, this is what I do.
0: Uh, So before we get into like what you do now, which we are going to get into, I want to sort of talk about like young Leanne. Uh, So we we talked a little bit about Northside and you riding there. I just want to know if you were into like any sports, if you were if you partied or stuff like that.
1: I wish I was cool enough to say I I was I I did sports, but no, I was such an I feel like. In elementary, I was absolutely an introvert. Like, if anything, I made friends with like the people at the library. Like, I was a big nerd. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not even joking. Like, I got most dramatically changed in high school, and that's because I was, like, I was a big, I was a big nerd. I really didn't care. And it's funny because at Northside, everybody's like a, big nerd. a nerd. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so it it's like it wasn't clicky. I did appreciate that about high school. Like, it, right. it, it's like everyone was was like a floater. Everybody did all the things. I tried out. I tried out singing for a while because my dad was a musician when okay. he was in his 20s, and he's like, you know, you you you'd probably have the genes; you'd be really good at it. I did yeah. some singing, didn't love it. Like I enjoy it, but like I enjoy karaoke. That's not like something I wanted to do it for a profession. Um, and then I think I I tried my hand at fashion. I wanted to do fashion writing for a hot wow. second. I did some entertainment writing; that was fun. But I don't know. I think I I ended up finding value in in other things. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, I'm sort of like, I don't know. I don't like to call myself an introvert because like I don't want to sound cocky. But like a lot of people know me at school because I'm like, you know, captain of the baseball team. And, you know, I like to, you know, I like to play ball. But I would really like to like keep to myself and you know just sort of stay under the radar. So I, I feel you in a way, but I wish I was a nerd, man, because you know it, I'd, I'd be struggling. I'm telling you.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the definition of a nerd has changed since like has, I was though. in school and now like because like, you watch are all,
0: all these movies and it's like oh the nerds yeah. getting bullied and picked on, but like yeah. I'm trying to make friends with nerds now. You know, do my homework, <laughs> help me out. So it, it's, it's definitely different. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about college. I know you went to Urbana, Champaign. Yes. And I'm, like, in the midst of, like, applying. And a lot of my friends are applying. And, like, I already realized that, you know, that school is out of reach. But, like, a lot of my friends are like, oh, it's a super, like, you know, super hard school to get into. I really want to go there. Uh, Can you tell me, like, what your first day on campus was like?
1: Yeah. That was a culture shock. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. It's like – being on a college campus is just so different and it's so interesting because I talked with my brother about this all the time he goes to UIC okay. and so very different experience um and I'm just like I'm not sure that I can relate I'm like I, I really appreciate hearing what that's like for you but I being at U of I in a college campus it's like literally to the left and right of U of I is like corn and soy like it's yeah. just like cornfields and it's just I, it was very weird to be dropped off um I'll tell you a little bit of like a weird experience. My parents actually didn't come to see me in college until I graduated. And I think it was a little bit of like, a they didn't want to accept that I had left home. They never stopped me. They never were like, don't go, Yeah. but they were never like go. And yeah. they never came. So those were two <laughs> context clues that told me, I was just like, okay, my parents are not like totally comfortable with me having left home to go to school, even though they're like, that's what you should do. Yeah. Um, It felt really weird. I got dropped off by a former boyfriend on college campus. He, like, helped me move in and move in, and then I was staying. Honestly, what helped was that I – I was dorming in the dorm with two of my high school friends. Okay. Like, that was my new family. So
0: would you say that it's like, what helped you overcome, like, all those new feelings? Like, I know you said it felt kind of weird. It was
1: new feelings, for sure. I was like, oh, this is, like, new chapter. Yeah. Like, I'm going to have to get it together. And, like, there's some skills that I haven't practiced that I'm going to have to practice. And luckily, that first year was in the dorm. But after the first year, they were like, okay, now you can rent. And I was like, what rent? Like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Oh my God. The first time I rented, I ended up in an apartment infested with bed bugs. It literally is so triggering, so triggering to this day. But it's just like you're dropped off in the middle of a campus, and there's all these skills you need to learn that nobody tells you about like financial aid, renting a home, getting food to feed yourself, like all this stuff. And so you realize you really have to, like, you have to drop that embarrassing like i'm embarrassed to ask part of you and you just have to like ask all the questions and just be lost and confused openly
0: wait so when you went to urbana did you go there like on a scholarship or what was that like
1: so it was partially funded by financial aid and partially subsidized loans so subsidized loans meaning that the, the the government was able to Uh, Reduce the interest rate um, on those and so most of what I had to pay back was the actual loan itself instead of like Interest rates which you get with unsubsidized loans.
0: So when it came to like uh, Paying rent or like buying groceries did you have to get a job or something.
1: I did. Yeah So I I had I had the loans which helped me pay part of that rent My job alone wouldn't have but I also worked part-time and I was really set on doing something that actually was in my career, like I've never worked retail. The job that I've had that probably was the least aligned with what I do that I still think helped me was daycare. But um on campus, I worked in the engineering department and I wrote for their mechanical engineering magazine. Damn. I didn't know smack about engineering, <laughs> but um, you know, like I, I think I'd gotten so uncomfortable with being in spaces where I didn't know anything <laughs> that I was like, I can learn it. I can ask questions. I got so comfortable with being uncomfortable and being the person who knew the least in the room and behaving that way. And that actually helped me, I think, get ahead because I was always asking questions and I dropped my ego to ask the questions. I realized I'm like, okay, if I stay here quiet, like closed mouth is not going to get fed. Like I'm going to have to ask to figure out like where I want to work, how it's going to align, what's the best apartments scholarship situation, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Like you saying, like it's sort of like clicking for me right now. Like I'm sort of like that way. Like I keep my mouth closed. I won't ask for help. I sort of just, you know, struggle on my own and, and be like, no, I can figure it out. I can figure yeah, it out. A lot but of
1: us do until I, you realize like, like you oh, need the help. Yeah. yeah it's I like, need help. like
0: you're afraid to take help sort of in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so leanne in college was at the same leanne in, in high school were you like very to yourself did you go out no
1: i was very different really? i think college was like an opportunity because i was away from my parents and because i was like in a new environment it oh, was really a
0: big party school right urbana. Big, yeah, it, yeah. it was
1: the top party school when i went <laughs> <laughs> so that that was the state of affairs of urbana champagne and i think it was an opportunity a lot of my friends thought this way too because a lot of my high school friends did go to that school too Sodden as an opportunity to like reinvent yourself. And I don't know that that's exactly what I told myself, but that is what I did. Like I tried new stuff, you know, like I, I considered joining a sorority, which I never thought that I would. I didn't end up doing it because I was doing so much other stuff, which like was giving me so much value to my life. But um, yeah, I got to really explore what a different side of me would look like.
0: Uh, So you said your parents didn't come see you until your senior year? Correct? yeah uh so how to feel to like graduate and you know finally be like i did it you know
1: yeah it it felt really good like i just it it felt really like like a big milestone okay. I, I i i think i knew i was gonna get there because i was just like i've gotten here so far like and you know i know i have the emotional support of my parents even though they're not here and i'm like had to work through that but i I think i was just like wow i can see like it was a big deal for my parents to show up i know it's not far but i think psychologically for them like them showing up that meant a lot like it meant that they like recognized oh this is happening and oh she might pick up and leave again which i did (laughs) Um, but like but i think that there was like a moment of just like oh you know like this is real like this is not just like some sort of pipe dream um and that felt pretty
0: cathartic yeah, yeah. I'm, it's sort of the same way for me uh you know you you dream about those moments of of like accomplishing what, what you had said in your mind right um yeah. and just making your parents proud yeah you know, yeah
1: there's, there's here
0: i mean it sounds like kind of corny but here you know i'm proud of you Miko. it, it goes a long way you know and it, it means a lot way, yeah Um, So you finally graduate and you kick off your journalism career. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I can imagine like those newsrooms, uh, like they're very diverse. Were you, was it the same thing there? Like, did you find yourself having like imposter syndrome in a way? Like where you weren't able to relate to others like the same?
1: Yeah. So with journalism, I honestly didn't even know what I was going to do. So I knew that journalism was a tough industry to go into. And so, oh yeah, let's go in. Let's go in. Um, I knew that journalism was a tough industry to go into, so I had worked as many internships that I could and also explored other career options. Right. There were quite a few of my friends who were engineers, quite a few of my friends who were in business. So before graduating, I actually I did this really silly thing again, explore different parts of myself. I applied to this um, group at school that only the MBA kids would apply to the kids that are getting their like master's of business degree. Um It was called Illinois Business Consulting and they have a 30% acceptance rate. You apply, and if you get in, you get to consult at the level of the top five. So that's Deloitte, like Bain and Company, like the top five consulting firms at that level. And you work with like different clients and you consult with them and it prepares you for that kind of career. I was like, listen, if I absolutely fail at journalism, It's too late to go and get a finance degree. I'm about to graduate, but you know what? At the very least, I'm going to get these skills under my belt so I can market myself as a consultant. Because you know how much those people make? Those people make six figures a year.
0: What what does a consultant do? So
1: a consultant will work with different companies to assess a problem that they have. Mm -hmm. And then they'll do research to make recommendations. And that's it? That's what they do it's their job to be experts in things that they're not expert in they do the research and they make recommendations and then they become experts that way and i was like wow my job is actually that like as a journalist like i covered so many things things that i'm not an expert in i asked the right questions i get the answers yeah so i was like why can't i do this so i applied and i got in so as i was graduating i was not only applying to journalism jobs i was applying to consulting gigs too because i was like if i fail at journalism I need to have a backup job. And I was freaking out the month before I graduated because the only viable news um, job that I had handed to me that was an internship was a job in Idaho as an agriculture reporter. I was like, am I going to go report on potatoes? Is this really what's <laughs> going to happen after I graduate? I was really nervous. I was yeah. like concerned. Um, and so I was like, I need to have a backup. And so that was consulting for me. Um, but... A month before I graduate, I get a call from the New York Times and I had applied to a fellowship with them on a whim. It's not even a fellowship. It's shorter. It was a one month stint in Arizona to report by the border with a bunch of New York Times reporters. I get a call. They say we're interested in you and your application. Can you get on a call? And that changed the trajectory of my life forever. Because once I mentioned that to some folks that I knew loosely out in New York and I begged them to give me a fellowship at Business Insider, they did. I literally begged I called them multiple times. I yep. wouldn't say beg, but I called them multiple times. And um and that's how it happened. Like not, it, it's crazy because I realized that nothing for a very long time nothing was ever like a given. Yeah. yeah. Like I could still totally like not make it. Yeah, yeah I feel you. Quote unquote
0: so you go to new york and you uh work for nasdaq uh before- yeah well i worked
1: for business insider before i was okay, at a okay. fellowship at business business insider yeah
0: so before you leave was it did you find yourself like contemplating like you wanted to stay or you knew for sure you wanted to go was it like a tough decision that you had to make
1: i think i knew i think i was you like you weren't
0: like scared or anything
1: well, I was like, I already left home. Like, I didn't see my parents until I graduated. Like, I was like, I, that, well, that's not true because I would come back to Chicago. You know, I had these this loan money, which I use, like subsidized loans, some of it, which I used to pay for tickets to come to Chicago. So I'm just like, listen, like, if I'm going to try this for real, if the New York Times called me, I'd be damned if I don't go to New York and try my chops and see if I'm any good. So I was like, let me just go. Like, I, of course, I was in the red. I was in the red with funds. I didn't have health insurance at the time and business insider wasn't offering health insurance because it was a six month fellowship. It wasn't a full-time gig. So I was like, I'm never going to have like the most, like the least to risk in my life. Like the, um, like I have nothing to lose. I have the least amount of risk from here on out. I actually start building a life. I start, you know, getting more risks, yeah. you know, this is the least risk I'll have to deal with in my life. And I have little to lose because I'm in the red. So I went. Um, Yeah.
0: So you're in New York. Um, You talked about growing up Hermosa earlier. While you were in New York, what are some differences or like similarities you can say that you've seen in the Latino community here and over there, if there are any?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say the Mexican community is you feel it, you know, like the Like I think that Chicago, that thing about Chicago is very present the mexican and the puerto rican community are very present here the mexican and puerto rican especially puerto rican community very present over there in new york but it is very different in the sense that new york is very worldly you get a lot of people that bring their like there's um their unique take of latinidad it's so much more diverse so much i didn't know about latinos about how differently uh their political alignments are their socioeconomic status where they come from so that creates like so much more diversity even within the latino community
0: so you come back to chicago and you know you get a job at google uh, one of the top five companies in the world uh being back in chicago did you feel like sort of out of place did you feel like this is where you belonged, or did you feel like because i know new york is a lot bigger you know mm-hmm. or did you feel like you were like back in a small pond
1: no, I wouldn't say a, a small pond. I think I've only been here for a year, so I would say I'm still adjusting. Like, I definitely think I'm, I'm more adjusted than I was a year ago. But um, I think with Google, when I got that job, they they said, do you want to stay in New York? That's that's That was the job. I wanted to come back to Chicago. I think it was t- I think the pandemic was like a time to like be like, hey, you know, What is it that you want in life right now? And I was like, I still want to pursue all my career endeavors. But New York's always going to be there. I want to be back in Chicago with my family. I want to do some financial things, some financial moves myself. Um, So I decided to come back
0: that's good that's really that's like that's something I take a lot of pride into you know I, I love where I'm from mm-hmm. and you know we have our, our struggles as a community but you know I sort of look at my community like, like a family right mm-hmm. and with every family you're gonna have you're gonna have problems you know uh, especially us Mexicans you know we're crazy <laughs> Um. so it like yeah. when I I dream about you know becoming successful and, and sort of not leaving this behind like oh Little Village was where I grew up like I, I want to stay here and, and be a part of that change you know so that, that's, that's really good to hear yeah Um, so before we get into our last topic, uh, I read an interview about how you were like pitching, I pitching, uh, stories about people of color. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, why did you do that? Why did you feel the need to have to pitch more, pitch stories about people of color?
1: Yeah. So in New York, um, I was out there for seven years. I fell into business news journalism. And so I worked at business insider CNBC. And then as you mentioned NASDAQ, um, and I just, it it was actually not very diverse. Um, and a lot of the leadership was white and male, um, And so one of the things that I saw missing from coverage was just BIPOC people. Uh, And and I was very surprised by that because, you know, coming from Chicago, the hustle is people of color. Like, you know, like all these entrepreneurs, small business owners, like people who launch things, they're people of color. And especially Latinos, who I felt like I knew the best because I grew up around them, you know, and my dad being one of these business owners. So I found it very uh, jarring that there wasn't coverage on people. Like it was just literally we'd have Warren, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk and... Jeff Bezos on rotation. I was like, I think we we can we can do more. We can do better. Um, so I started pitching these stories. Um, it wasn't getting an amazing acceptance rate at first because people wanted like big numbers. Yeah. But the thing is, our founders, like people of color founders, don't often get access to bank loans, uh, for 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 many reasons. But one of them being credit scores, which is. Tied to all these systemic issues. And then we also don't get a lot of funding for our company. So I'm just like, how are you gonna expect these people to have big numbers if you're not even confiding in them, giving them the the, the literal loans and and assets that they need that they need to, in order to grow? So I was just like, you know what? I'm just gonna start my own thing too on the side yeah, yeah. <laughs> where I started my podcast and newsletter, Moneda moves. Um and, and that's how I, I started doing that. But now I continue to write it because I think it's really important to write these stories it really makes a difference in what people perceive as reality.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, that Moves, I really I want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about it? Like, what does it consist of? What kind of guests you like to have on there? Uh, what do you talk about? And yeah. I wanted to talk about uh, where you got the name from, like how you came up with it.
1: Sure. So, the name came from, I, I launched the newsletter around the time... Um, i like it by cardi b was trending Uh, so you know she, she had her whole album she's like i make money moves i'm like i love that i love that and you know what i love my spanglish too so i was like okay moneda moves bet i'm like i'm gonna get this trademarked and last year i finally did get it trademarked it took me years but i finally did um and and it was available so i i did that um that is a platform that's all about Latinos, money, and our contributions to the American economy. As I've continued doing it, I realized that I focus a lot on, and there's a big need for, like, first movers in particular. Because Latinos, again, are very diverse. Different socioeconomic status. And so, like, it's one thing to say, this person, you know, came from a family that is an oil company family or a family that was a magnate. And now they're following in their footsteps and doing entrepreneurship. That's not a discredit to them. That's still amazing. But I think that there's a lot of relatability for a lot of people over like, hey, we were in the come up. We didn't have anything growing up, yeah. and this person did not have a blueprint. Now they need to come up with the blueprint. There's so much, so many people to be served through these kind of stories and just lessons to be learned as to how to navigate a world that no one tells you how to navigate unless you're already born into like an ecosystem and and like a community that teaches you how to do it. So a lot of it is uh, interviews with fintech people, uh, people who are prominent in the business space and founders that are navigating for the first time being successful in the business world. And I focus on Latinos.
0: So it's strictly Latinos?
1: I work with a lot of BIPOC people too because we, we face a lot of the same issues. You know, like Asian sons and daughters of Asian people, Asian immigrants, like black people. We face a lot of the same issues because we face all these systemic issues. And so I do have people from other cultures
0: on you saying that, like I realize, sometimes I feel like society like tries to split us apart or like separate uh, like different types of minority classes. I feel like it's more about like coming together and, you know, realizing that we all sort of face the same oppression and it's, yeah. it's better to be united rather than separated, you know? A hundred percent. So, I mean, growing up, I heard, you know, talking, like trying to talk about money with my mom and dad, I'd be like, Hey, you know, can we afford this? Can, can, we, can I get this? Can I get that? It's a lot of like, mom and dad be like, Oh, don't worry about it. Or, you know, we got it or like talking about money is like, it's like taboo in a way, or it's mm-hmm. like forbidden. Like the Latinos don't talk about their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that sort of the same situation you had in your household?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because my parents talked about money. And then again, they didn't talk about okay. money. I, I think they talked about w- whatever money stories or money narratives they knew and they felt comfortable repeating. But there's like divots where like now that I've come back as an adult and I I know more things than I did and I bring them up, I realize it makes us deeply uncomfortable. And so they're very emotional conversations. So we would talk about like my mom, she would talk about how the Limones were cheap at the other Sir Mac versus the Jimenez, you know, like those were money conversations that we had. My dad would talk about how like he could charge like $1,000 easy for this project uh, in construction at a home but what they didn't feel comfortable talking about and i learned this as an adult is like hey mom dad um have we drafted up a will like you know like what what's going to happen to to the houses uh if if something happens because it's terrible things to talk about but it's all things that are necessary for preparation and if you look at families who have more accumulated wealth these are conversations that are happening openly and freely and it takes some tension off of the uh off of circumstances later when people are older. It's all part of wealth planning, right? So these, these bigger conversations and honestly very emotional, intense conversations are very difficult for us to have even now. Um, and so I realized that we were having certain money conversations, but now we need to have like... Bigger like, money conversation. Yeah,
0: like, really, yeah. Uh, I can relate to that in a lot of ways. uh So, re- my parents, you know, they're getting older and they sort of have these talks about um, they just bought a house right here on 31st and Drake.
1: Congrats. So, yeah, they're going to
0: renovate great. it, you know, rent it out. yeah And we're having this conversation today like, hey, what? Well, If something happens to me and your dad, you know, it's going to be yours and then your brother's. And Mm -hmm. it's 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 a hard conversation to have because you don't want to, like, imagine your parents not being here. But I see what you say about, like, it's it's necessary that we have to have those conversations so we can know what to do, like if that situation would ever happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I don't I don't jump like straight into it. I don't plunge straight into it because these are emotional conversations. So usually when we're having these conversations, you know, I'll have my parents over for dinner. We'll talk about something else, like not about that. And then we'll make our way into it because these are really emotional conversations. And at the end of the day, you're dealing with people at the other end of the money line. You're dealing with a person, especially when it's your family. You want to be really sensitive about the topics and sensitive to their feelings, because a lot of the the psychology feeds into how you treat the money, too.
0: Um, so as a young person, I think I think a lot about money. I think about money, you know, every day, Um, mainly about how to, you know, get it. Um, yeah. I'm always asking, you know, uh, Ray and Ernesto, like is there opportunities for me to make money or stuff like that. Um, it, it's, it can be pretty stressful, especially yeah. when I'm going to college and, you know, I'm started, starting life in a way. You know, I'm already 17 years old, but I'm, I'm in those stepping stones of becoming my own adult and managing yeah. my own funds. Is there any advice you can give out to other kids who are in my situation? Because I, I know there's a lot out there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of money, I would say don't ignore your credit score. As a matter of fact, if you can find out what your credit score is, do it. Um, and there's a couple of ways to do that. There's a few services online that you, you can do it for free. I would say that we, sometimes we talk about in our community, uh, about credit as a bad thing because we t- tend to talk about credit card debt, Yeah. but credit is super important to build. And the sooner you can build it, the better. Um, the way to establish a healthy relationship with credit is to treat your credit cards like um, like a rotating door. Like nothing ever that you're taking out of your credit card or like paying for with your credit card should be nothing that you'd, you don't have in your bank account. Um, you should always be like, I'm going to immediately pay it or like it's scheduled to be paid and i know i have that money in my bank account and that will help you that's one great way that's going to help you build your credit score the other thing i would say is now there's a couple of apps there's a couple of financial technology companies and and apps that will help you use like the first time you get your own apartment and pay rent you can use that to build credit as well why is credit so important because when you get older you're going to want to make bigger investments maybe on buying a home and to buy a home or to start a business, you're going to want to want a loan from the bank. When yeah. you go to get a loan from the bank, they're going to check your credit score. And how good your interest rates are, whether or not you get the loan, is going to depend on that credit score. So I would say that I neglected credit, my credit score for probably longer than I should have because I was fearful of going into credit card debt. But the matter of fact is I would recommend that you go to Nerd Wallet or Credit Karma, one of these sites, they all have really good resources on building credit and to build it little by little. I'm not suggesting that you go ham on a shopping spree in your credit card. Please do not do that. (laughs) But literally get a credit card that has some good perks for things you use already. Like, hey, I shop at this grocery store. This credit card is giving me benefits on this grocery store. Like, you can get some perks from that. You can start building your credit because later you're going to be able to benefit from it so much
0: um I, I had this conversation actually just last week with ernesto and my brother mm-hmm. we were talking about you know building credit and he was like giving me this advice like hey as soon as you turn 18 we'll figure out a nice credit card for you to you know that we can uh, sign up for yeah and then you sort of just spend money on that and like you said that money in the bank that you have like you sort of immediately pay it
1: off. we want to make sure we are very cognizant of how we are using our debt um in, in a careful way too because it affects our credit score and we're just getting started
0: um talking about money uh like latinos i mean growing up i know i wasn't very my parents didn't know much about like like what you're talking about you know building right credit my mom was just sort of just like oh work a job and, and save your money that, that's all we're yeah, pretty much taught. that's what I, I got too I, I feel like it's like it's like that's a standard for most latino uh like youth mm-hmm. like we're not really taught how to like invest properly or stuff like that so I know your, your uh, podcast, that Moves, talks about that a lot. What does it mean to you be able to teach, like, the youth out there about uh, money moves and sort of, you know, just creating generational wealth?
1: Yeah, I got to say, I, um, so I do tell a lot of stories about money, and I ask experts to share their expertise. I... I don't consider myself a financial literacy teacher because I'm still learning. Like I will, I will talk about what I know and my journey because I think there's value in that. But I think there's so many amazing financial literacy teachers out there. Um, I mean, among them you have in the community, Pablo Torres, who I met just last year, who's over, um, I know he's at Northwestern mutual and also giving like a lot of, uh, wealth talks in the community of, uh, La Villita and Pilsen. Um, uh, what, what the podcast aims to do is share stories and raise visibility over people who are doing, the, doing it first time, just like us. And so they may teach us things, sure, about finance, but also about side hustles, about building your company for the first time and navigating yeah. that ecosystem.
0: Um, so lastly, before we wrap up, I just want to like ask if there's anything you want to leave our guests with, any special projects you're working on?
1: yeah well i mean everyone can follow at moneda moves or follow me at leanne alfaro uh in terms of special projects we'll be ramping the podcast back up in february so we're really excited to share new releases and uh hopefully some live podcasting events later this year
0: all right well thank you everybody it's been real uh leanne alfaro Uh, this is george Salazar signing
1: off i'll see you guys next time